Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Stand with me if you would, please. Man, you look great today. I know the lights are a little dim, but you still look great. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome all of you watching online and who will be viewing this message throughout the week. We welcome you, appreciate you. Uh, We're continuing uh, a series uh, entitled Passages to His Promises or Pathways to His Promises. Uh, We began a few weeks ago, and today I'm going to talk about uh, how to work through pain to get to the promise. Uh, most of us realize that, you know, we, 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 we have a map to our destiny, a desire, a dream, and as long as everything's going well, we continue to move toward that. But in the process uh, of moving toward God's promises, it's pretty inevitable that you will suffer some kind of pain. Now, it may be emotional pain, could be physical pain, spiritual pain, There are various kinds, if not numerous kinds, of pains. Some of those pains that we experience, we create ourselves. Uh, Other pains that we experience are because of situations we encounter, criticisms that we hear, uh, observations by others that are communicated. Uh, This past week, this is one of those that it's pretty cute, but it, it brought me to a new reality uh, I, we have nine grandchildren, and uh, they live all over the country. And, and one particular grandchild, Asher, who lives in Seattle, my oldest son's uh, oldest son, and uh, he's so smart. And, and he and I made a connection when I was really a supernatural situation. He's finally old enough to know who everybody is, you know. And, and so... Uh, we hung out, we played Hot Wheels, we did a bunch of stuff, and had a lot of fun. And uh, you, I told you a couple weeks ago, he came up behind me, I was sitting in a chair, and uh, he said, Bob's, you don't have any hair. <laughs> that's a little painful. And I said, that's because I told God to save it for you. He's got a massive head of hair. And so I got a text from my son a couple of days ago, and here's what he says. He says, Asher just said... I want to guess how old Pops is. That's what they call me, Pops. He said, I think I'll have to go high because he's super old. <laughs> and then he says, 55. <laughs> and my son says, I don't know if you should feel complimented or insulted. <laughs> and I said, well, 55 made me feel complimented. I thought, that's not bad. And so I just texted back, I feel complimented just because he's thinking about me and talking about me, not to mention he's right. <laughs> and so um, 
you know, there would have been a time probably I would have felt some pain going, wow, what can I do to make my grandson make me feel, you know, look like I'm younger, maybe get hairy implants, dye my hair and whatever, you know, you start thinking about things to try to make people change their opinion of you instead of embracing who you really are. And so, because you're fearfully and wonderfully made, no matter how old you are, and, and uh, you just embrace it. And, and it just made me feel so loved, genuinely, that he would even be talking about me. Because somebody's talking about you, guess what? That means they're thinking about you. And so, uh, anyway, we have to work through all kinds of things like that, where, you know, the things that we, we make mistakes, and we create our own pain, or somebody says something, and... It's so important that, that we not allow the pains of life to keep us from the destiny that God has put in our lives. And uh, there will always be problems, many of which I've already said are, are self-inflicted. The way you talk to yourself, the way you think about yourself, uh, what, what you embrace that other people say about you, either good or bad. And, and it's nice when somebody says something nice, and maybe that's encouraging, and it should be. But most of the time, we forget the encouraging words, and we remember the criticisms, the painful words. And those will oftentimes stop us from moving forward. So, um, I'm going to read again from Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And staying on the story of Rahab, because it's a very interesting story to me, that God would use this woman to be a part of the ancestry of Christ, given her life. Now, Many people are where they are today, not by choice, but maybe by how you were brought up. And maybe you, were, you embraced the environment in which you grew up. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, except that if you have something in you, gnawing in you, that this is not where you want to be or how you want to live, you can spend the rest of your life blaming your family, your teachers for where you are and and maybe they contributed to a mentality of just enough, and you don't need more than what you have, and just be satisfied. And I do believe that we ought to find peace in every situation in life, but I don't think we have to stay in that place and continue to have peace in a place that God didn't ordain for us to stay. And so many people embrace that in their lives, and they never move forward. They never, they never find a passage to God's promises. They just stay right there and say, well, if this was good enough for grandma and grandpa, it's good enough for mom and dad, then it should be good enough for me. Basically, it's a false humility, and uh, that false humility will, will make your life miserable. It's been said that it's inevitable for everyone to experience pain. But misery is optional. And if you don't address your pain, you will eventually become miserable. And that's nobody's fault but our own. And so when I was very young, I didn't know much. We grew up, you know, really <clears throat> lower middle class. <clears throat> and, you know, great, great parents. And, you know, but we just didn't have a lot. And something inside me just kept it just, I can't explain it, but I felt like there was more than what I was experiencing. Now, it would have been easy for me to 
stay where I was in order to satisfy and not offend my mom and dad, who they wouldn't have been offended. offended. But finally, one day, I did have a conversation with my father. And I, I was dreaming big, and I was actually dreaming outside my capacity to do what I wanted to do. The dream was out here. I was here, and I had no bridge from here to here yet, but I wanted to leap. And I remember my dad was very practical, hardworking, disciplined, principled man. I was anything but. And he said, you know, uh, you know, this is just life. He said, Mark, it's just life. And I said, Dad, life is what you make it. And, I, you know, of course, I didn't mean to be disrespectful, but I was speaking to what was going on inside me. And, and I had to address that or I was going to live the rest of my life the way they lived, which nothing wrong with that. There's no judgment. And oftentimes when we want better and somebody else doesn't, we feel guilty for wanting better and, and they don't. And, and it begins to separate us from them. It doesn't have to. I'm of the opinion that however you want to live and whatever makes you happy, I support that. I, you don't need to follow my dreams and aspirations if you are where you want to be. But you don't need to criticize a person who wants to do more and be more than where you are. And oftentimes, people who want to remain in, in their situation criticize people who want more. To me, we just need to love everybody. The, the vaxxed, the unvaxxed, the masked, the unmasked. Uh, everybody has a right to live that, the life they want to live the way they want to live it. Now, obviously, we want everybody to know Jesus. We want everybody to go to heaven. That's what the Word says. It's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. We want that for everyone. But you can't force someone to move beyond where they are if they don't have the confidence or desire to move there. And so you can see there will always be people who are critical of people who seem to be climbing the ladder and you don't even want to get on the ladder. And if you're afraid of heights, be afraid of heights. Don't get on the ladder. But the reality is let's not judge each other based on our position, our desire, our capacity, whatever that might be. And so in Joshua chapter 2, we have Rahab, who is a known prostitute in Jericho. And as I've stated in weeks past, uh, this was the last fortress that Israel would have to go through in passage to the promised land. And, and it, how many of you know it's that last little bit that is so difficult? You can go through a lot of things early on. You know, they, the old saying is not how you start the race. It's how you finish the race. And so Israel is in that place. They started the race. They took 40 years almost too long to get to this location. According to theologians, it would take about two and a half weeks to get from where they were to the promised land. But there were a lot of dynamics that caused them to spend 40 years wandering in a wilderness. Now they're so close. They're knocking on the door and here's this fortified city standing between them and the promise. Let me tell you something. They could have said, you know, we got close. Or they could have said, this is close enough. Or they could have said, this is good enough. Good enough is never going to be enough if you have better than good enough in your soul. If you've got more than that inside you, you will live a life of pain because you chose not to move on. Everything's a choice. 
Everything's always, and this is going to sound like an old man sermon, and I don't consider myself old, but just older. You know, your parents always said, well, when I was a kid, you know, that was always the framework when I was a kid, and here's what we had and didn't have. But, but life is filled with choices, and most of the pain that we experience is not the choices that someone else made or even the words someone else spoke because it's not the words somebody else speaks that hurts you. It's the words you receive that hurt you. You'll never amount to anything. We never will. Our family grew up at the wrong time. Nothing good ever happens in our family. And you listen to those things. And, and even though they shouldn't have been said, that's not what's important. It's what you hear and accept that makes the difference. And so you have to guard your heart, the Bible says, for out of it flow the issues of life. So whatever you get in your heart will be the life that you live. And so I'm constantly on guard uh, about the words that come. They're gonna, you're going to hear them wherever you go. People get angry. People say things they shouldn't say. And you just happen to be in earshot and you listen to that. Well, you know, it's really dark days. We're, the, the world's getting worse. We're going to go into recession. And if you're not careful, you will take that as it applies to you. But listen, we know God is above recession, depression, lack, deficiency. God is bigger than all of those things. And if we embrace those, the pain that comes with fear will envelop our lives. And before you know it, we start surviving. Well, you were not born to survive. You were born to thrive. Jesus himself said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so I keep those words, and I say them out loud. When I start feeling this pressure in my soul, I declare those words. So here we are with Rahab. Not only is she a prostitute, this is the way she's making a living, and, 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 but she's also poor, according to historians, the location she lived in Jericho, which was toward the exterior walls of, of that city, which made her more susceptible to any attacks that would come. They would be the first ones that would die. So here she is in this position. And it would be very easy. Please listen to this. It would be very easy to judge Rahab and say, well, as a prostitute, she really doesn't deserve anything good. She doesn't deserve to have a better life because she's chosen a life uh, that, that many would, would criticize, and, and understandably so, but God didn't criticize her. Obviously, when God sent the spies into the city, they were directed to go to a home that most people wouldn't go to, and they wouldn't be caught near. But God saw something in her that she didn't even see in herself. But once she was exposed to anointing, once she was exposed to faith, once she was exposed to courage, it began to change. And we'll see that as I read this. It shifted in her. All she needed to do was to get around a couple of spies that represented God who had faith in their soul, and I'm telling you, it rubbed off on her. She could have easily said, well, I'm nothing but a lowly, poor prostitute. I'm, I have a bad reputation. There's no way God would want me. There's no way God would use me. And, and you begin to talk to yourself. And if that's not enough, 
Can you imagine Rahab even possibly sharing it with some of her closest friends, saying, hey, there were some spies, and we've heard about their exploits. We've heard about their God, and, and, and now they're coming to us, which means our city is probably next, and, and, and we need to do something. We need to warn the king, and maybe if I warn the king of Jericho, maybe he will save my life, and maybe he will help me, and all of these conversations happen inside her head. Instead, she decided, no, I'm, I feel something I've never felt. I've heard something I've never heard. I've seen something I've never seen. And all of a sudden, something came alive that began to break up all of the hurt and the pain of her past. And she began to change in a moment because of two people that came to her house representing God. We're quick to judge other people. We're, you know, well, you know, if they just do something different or if they just, I'm sure they're just bad people. You know, there really are no bad people. There are just a lot of good people who do bad things. And if we can see everybody the way God sees them as the apple of his eye, let me tell you, so much of our pain doesn't come from just judging us, but from judging others. When you're critical of other people and judgmental of other people, that will create pain in your own life. And you don't even realize why you have pain, but, but you got to find something good in everybody. The worst person, you have to look and go, there's good in there somewhere. We can't see it, and we'd have to put it under a microscope to find it. But it's in there because God didn't create anybody to be evil. He created everybody in his image and likeness to have fellowship with him and one another. And so the only way I cannot have fellowship wouldn't be your fault. I would remove myself from that fellowship. And how many of you know that sinners, because I was like Paul, one of the worst, I didn't want to be around people like you. It wasn't that you were bad, but I made it look like you were bad. You, you hypocrites, you bunch of religious fanatics, you sick people. You try to act like you're all close to God and, and look at you. You're no better than me. And, you know, we use all these excuses. At least that's what I did. Maybe some of y'all never done that. But, but, I, but what I was doing was I was trying to make a case for my own pain and misery. Judging you created more pain and misery for me without realizing that really I was the one that needed help. Well, of course, you did too. I still need help. You know, as a pastor, I, we all need help. But the joy of life is in the, in the peace of life that, that creates a, a clear passage to our promise. We clutter the passageway by the judgment, by the criticism, and by all those problems. So, in Joshua 2, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from uh, Israel to go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So, they went, entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. The king of Jer Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Now, you want to know who the tattletale is? We don't know. He just had heard that some spies had come. And what's really interesting, they had watched them so closely that they were able to track those spies to her home. Now, this is where it gets real tricky. And, and I, again, I am not endorsing her profession. I'm not endorsing the fact that she lied to the king's uh, representatives. But she understood something greater. And we'll never know why or how. And, and it's funny to me that when we read the Bible, maybe it's because we, we see the outcome. 
But when we read the Bible, if we didn't know the rest of the story, two spies went to a prostitute's home and that left it there. Boy, let me tell you, we can tell ourselves some stories. But because we know the rest of the story, we go, oh, this is so wonderful. We can tell the story of so many great prophets. Elijah, who's he's hiding in a cave. David, who's killing uh, Bathsheba's husband. And, but, but we don't see David in that light because we know the rest of the story. We've read the rest of the story. We go, oh, isn't it awesome that David was a man after God's own heart? He repented. Isn't it awesome that Elijah finally woke up and realized he didn't have to be afraid? You know, isn't it wonderful? We look at all those, but when we see other people, you don't know the outcome of their life. All you know right now is that they're being stupid. And so rather than looking and saying, you know, there's a possibility that God's going to use this stupid person of which I was one. I didn't pick me, and quite frankly, knowing who I was, I thought for sure God made a huge mistake. You don't pick people from my neighborhood to do what I'm doing. And so, there were many people, actually, when I first started preaching, there were people that called the church and said, now, is this the Mark Crow from Berry Hill? They weren't calling so they could come to church. They were calling to inquire. This cannot be the same drag-racing drunk fool that I used to know. You see what I'm saying? So many people have seen your story and they're finishing your story for you, which they'll tell you your story. And you'll believe the story they're telling you because it's their perception of who you are and how much they don't like you. The pain. The pain. But, but you, have, you have to keep hammering away or sickling away or plowing away to get to the promise of God. Because let me tell you, there is no highway to your promise. There's no interstate to your promise. You see, there's a highway to hell and a stairway to heaven. Does that help you? There is no highway to your heavenly promise. Just a stairway. And there's no elevator and there are no escalators. You've got to climb that sucker. But I believe the reason God does that, it's not God punishing us. It's God strengthening us. I have a friend who's a chiropractor. Well, actually, his kids are my friends. He's in his 80s. And he's a chiropractor. His daughter's a chiropractor. His son's a chiropractor. And, and I was recently there, and I thought, boy, they look good. And, and my, my really dear friend said, well, mom and dad bought a house with stairs by design so they would have to climb them every day and stay strong. You know, most people say, well, we're getting older. We need to get a one-story home. They did the opposite. They said, we're going to buy a house with stairs so we have to climb them every day. You see, if we want to get better, sometimes we have to just simply climb. We have to forge our way through. But most importantly is I shouldn't have to understand why you are where you are to believe in you. I'm reminded every day when I see people on street corners with vests and, and asking for money, I'm reminded every day my job is not to make them worthy of my love. 
and to pull up and ask them why I should love them. My job is to simply love them. Doesn't mean I have to give money, though sometimes I do. And, and I would, that would come with criticism. Well, you're enabling them. They're going to go buy whiskey. Well, that's not my job. My job is to do what God says to do. And maybe, have you ever thought about this? Maybe my gift will turn them in the right direction. But see, most people look and say, well, you're just enabling them. They're going to go buy whiskey with that. They're going to go do this. They've got a pool at home. I know how this. They're being pimped out. they got somebody they're bringing the money to, and, and he or she is supplying. We tell all these stories. And you know why we do? To eliminate our pain. Well, I'm not giving because these are bad people. Your gift, your kindness could be the very thing that turns them around. And so what I found in my life, I used to be one of those people. Well, I can't believe they're doing this. And, and I really address people who say that. And I'm not mean. I'm just saying, you don't know. How many people criticize Rahab? What a, just a little hooker. and got. <laughs> See, that'll get your attention. She's, here she is. These spies are coming to her house from Israel. Uh, 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 and everybody starts talking. And then they start judging her. I can't believe they would come to your house. Well, you know what? I can't believe Cobb would come to your house or my house. But that's what God does. God is notorious for picking the notorious. So anyway, we know the story. Now, she gets really bold in, in verse 12. Now, promise me by God, <coughs> she says, I showed you mercy. Now, show my family mercy. She had forgotten in a healthy way, when I say forgotten, that she was a prostitute. She, she could have said, I, I, I'm so thankful you came to my home. I, I'm just so grateful. She said, hold on. I, I'm going to go to my promise, and I'm going to be bold enough. See, many people, when they pray, they come to God like this. You know, oh, God, I'm such a bad person. Rahab stood up, and she said, I've shown you mercy. Now, here's what I want you to do for me. You see, I used to pray that way because that's how I was taught to pray. And, and, and not without realizing, we're called, according to the book of Hebrews, to approach the throne room with boldness. Not arrogance, boldness. Boldness simply means I know that God has better for me than what I want for me. I know that whatever I ask of God will not be as much as God holds for me. Whatever I'm asking of God, think about it this way. You can be asking God to pay your electric bill, and God's saying, I'd like for you to be able to pay 10 other people's electric bill. You're asking God, just, God, just bless me with a little. God says, no, I want to bless you with a much, so much. He said, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. If he's going to bless you to be a blessing, you have to have some left over so that you can be a blessing. He is the God of pressed down, shaken together, and run o running over. That's who God is. But we have to pray big prayers to get big responses. And I'm not talking about prayers of, of selfish ambition. I'm talking about prayers that empower us to have enough power to empower others. So Rahab goes, I showed you mercy, now show my family mercy. She didn't say show me mercy. She said show my family mercy. And we all know in Bible times there were a bunch of people in every family. 
and give me some tangible proof as a guarantee of life for my father, mother, my brothers, sisters, everyone connected with my family. Now, I don't know who's connected to her family, but she knew a lot of people. Yes, sir. Save our souls from death, our lives, our lives for your lives, said the men. That was their response. Our lives for your lives. But don't tell anyone our business. When God turns this land over to us, we'll, be, we'll, do, the, we'll do right by you in loyal mercy. Passage means a long, narrow space with walls or fences on both sides, which connects one place or room with another. Narrow passage. What's the Bible say? The way for us is narrow. It's not broad. I can't do what I want to get what I want. I can do what he wants to get what I want, but I can't do what I want to get what he wants. You see, if I really wanted some, see, I know that cold is a curse. I can prove it biblically because Adam and Eve were born naked and walked around naked. You can't walk around out here in 22 degrees. You'd freeze. It wasn't until after the fall that cold came. And that's what really irritates me about Adam and Eve. (laughs) Narrow. Narrow space may take you places others won't go, separate you from past relationships. You see, Rahab in this moment was separating herself from everyone. I mean, except her family and those, a part of her family. She could have said, Jericho's all I've ever known. I've lived here my whole life. Everything has been okay. It's not what I would imagine. I didn't go to first grade and sign, this is what I want to become when I grow up. You can imagine the pain and isolation she must have felt, especially from the other women in Jericho. The pain of her life growing up, I don't know how old she was, but I know she was old enough to have a conversation with the anointed of God in a very, uh, a very strong conversation. <laughs> Strength that came from her tells me she was probably old enough to know what she was doing and what she was saying. Here's what I see in this. God sees a harvest in every one of us. Jesus was the seed of God to produce a harvest in our lives. And many people have taken the seed of God, Jesus Christ, accepted him, and never watered the salvation that leads to sanctification in their lives. In other words, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, and that's it. That's the seed of Jesus, which is still, you're going to heaven. But God expected a harvest out of our lives. That's the reason he sowed the seed of Christ is is that we were to go and do what he did, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I heard a story this past week that really provoked me, and, and I don't mind being provoked in a good way. And I was very provoked by a man that, it was just, it was a great conversation, and I was asking him how he came to go to church. He goes to another church, and I would just say it was a wonderful conversation. He said, you know what happened? Because I always am interested in people's stories, uh, I, not, their, not, not 
their, the stories of their horrible past, but how they transitioned from darkness to light, from lost to found. And he said, well, he said, there was a person that used to come into the store I worked at, and every time they came in, he said, they bought a lot of stuff. And they came in pretty regularly. And he said, they would hand me a card that had their church on it, no name, I mean the church name, obviously, but it was just a, a, a card that invited them to church. And he said, finally, I got two or three of these, and I just decided to go. And he said, changed our life. You see, it wasn't somebody's great ability to preach the gospel. These people just came in and gave a card. In other words, they recognized what Jesus did for me, he wants to do for others. Now, I have to be the harvest in order for them to have hope. How many of you know, when you plant, which I grew up planting gardens we had when we were kids, and... Uh, what planting seed, you'd sit there and go, okay, all of that work and there's nothing to show for it until all of a sudden you watered it, you weeded it, and all of a sudden it began to bear vegetables and fruit. That harvest was encouraging. We knew if it did it once that if we sowed them again, it would do it again. You see, whatever God's done in your life and my life, the pain, the things we've gone through are there for a purpose for us to help others see, you too can get on the other side. You too can experience this. The Bible says in Revelation, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So the very first thing I would say to you is answer the door. <laughs> answer the door. And, and you know, I, and I'm going to throw this in because this is always, I've, I've been doing this really long time. And I've been in churches and and everywhere we go, uh, everywhere I've been, from, from churches in Texas where we were on staff in Tulsa and, and here, the, the challenge to me has always been helping people see beyond their own pain to help other people get beyond their pain. Our passion as Christians is to work through whatever pain, and some of you it's a pain just getting up in the morning. And some of you are going to say, well, I'm getting old. I never say I'm getting old. Matter of fact, we were telling one of our kids the other day that we were going to take a, a road trip, just, you know, just have some fun. And they said, well, you know, we're talking about how long you drive. Used to, I could drive all night, you know, back when you were a kid and stupid. <laughs> Dumbest thing in the world, drive for 24 hours, you know. We said, we said, well, you know, we're going to try to break it up. And they, the response was, well, you're, you're getting older in your joints. And I said, Stop. My joints have nothing to do with how long I'm going to drive. I get really stubborn when people start using their age as an excuse, and though it may be a little bit, but, but the reality is I just don't go there. I just look and go, I'm the righteousness of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me at 50. No, the rest of my life. Now, some of you think I'm 50. That makes me feel really good because my grandson thinks I'm 55. So, but... But I've decided in my life I'm not going to use excuses about pain because then it takes on more pain. I'm going to fight through it. And, and uh, I, I learned I had a, a, two doctors. One, I had a, a situation some years ago, and, and one doctor said, well, you're going you're gonna to need to stop working out. And I said, well, that's not an option. He said, well, you're going to have to. I said, well, I'll see another doctor. I left and never went back. I found a doctor who'd say, work through your pain. And you know what? I found one. And he said, 
No, don't quit. Work through your pain. That's what I did. And guess what? I'm still alive. Now, because pain is, is the worst kind of enemy because it continues to convince us that we need to, to stop. Now, maybe there's some extreme cases. Please don't. I'm not judging anybody that you say, well, I can't because. And I get that. But oftentimes, it's the simple pain that we use. In, I don't want to get up. I don't, I don't want to go today. I, it's too cold. My bones are brittle. You need to get on something to unbrittle so you can be unbridled. But Jesus said in Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why are the workers few? You know how many people use excuses to not do something for God? Like a lot. Well, you know, I work five days a week. Welcome to the human race. Or I work six days a week and Sunday's my only day off. You know what? If you started going to church on Sunday, you might get another day off during the week. It's, it's funny how Sundays and God are always the option. Going to work Monday's not an option. Going to work Tuesday's not an option. Going to work Wednesday's not an option. But Sunday is an option. Listen, I don't want to stand before Jesus and say, here I am, your option. I want to hear, here I am, your God. And so the, the fact is that, that we, 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 we can find pain if we want. And, and again, I, I'm not, I, we live in a world that is very soft, very soft. And we've created a softness uh, in the minds of man. I was, had the good fortune or misfortune of growing up in a home with a father who worked 16 hours a day the first 13 years of my life. So when I started going to work at 16, I worked at what was then Safeway, became Homeland, uh, and, and, and I was in school, but at 16, I was pretty much on my own. I mean, my, I had a place to live, but I had to buy everything. And so regularly, just like at church, there would be people who'd call in, I don't feel good. Anyway, so then those of us who worked a lot would get a call. Well, finally, I got tired of it. I thought, you know, you guys call me about every day that I'm not scheduled to work because somebody else chose not to come in. And we had landlines for young people. If you're watching, a landline was a phone that sat on the counter. <laughs> and it rang loud. And the whole family heard it. So it, it, when the phone rang and, and my mom would answer and say, well, it's, it's Safeway. They want you to come to work. So I pick up the phone. John Fuller was the manager. And, and it, if my dad was in earshot because he'd, he'd get home about 3 o'clock and go to another job about 4 o'clock. And so if he was there, I knew if he heard mom say, they want you to come to work, and I didn't go, he was on me like white on rice. And for all you country people, a duck on a June bug. And, and I'd say, well, Dad, you know, I don't really feel good. He said, go anyway. If, if, well, Dad, I got a temperature of 101. I don't care what you got. Go to work. Now, some of y'all call that abuse. You know what I call that? I call that going through the pain to get to my destiny. Now, again, this is extreme. I know I'll be judged, but... I'm not listening to the judgment, so keep on talking. All I hear is blah, 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 blah. We live in a soft world. Well, it's raining outside. We're not going to church. It's cold outside. There are snowflakes. Yeah, I can tell you, I saw about one that big. 
I know I'm being a little tougher today, but I want us to understand if you want to get to your promised land, there will be pain you will have to go through. And Jesus himself, the Bible says he learned, he, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. We don't learn obedience anymore. We medicate. <laughs> well, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer either. My wife will often say, I say, I got pain. She's take, take a Tylenol. I say, I don't take medication hardly. I don't like it. It's not that it's wrong, and I don't judge anyone. You, you can have a pile of it. I don't care. But in my life, I've realized I don't want, if there's anything I can do to get through what I need to get through, I'm going to try to get through it and, and understand it. Now, obviously, headaches and stuff, I get all that. I'm no judgment there. But I want you to get to your promise, and the devil will do everything he can to stop it. And there is no path of least resistance. <laughs> Ask Israel. Well, you can't, but if you could, how did you get there? Because I believe every day Jesus is standing at my door knocking. Not because he wants to invade my home, but because he wants to come into my life and walk hand in hand with me to my promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for pay, being patient with us, for loving us when we are unloving, for being kind to us when we're mean. God, thank you that you don't treat us the way we treat you or the way we treat might treat others. You are ever-present when we're ever-absent. You're ever-loving when we're ever-unloving. You're ever caring when we are uncaring. Lord, I thank you that you're not sitting on your throne to judge me. You've given me the job of judging me. As you told the church at Corinthians, judge yourselves. I've judged and seen that I desperately need you, God, every moment of every day. I know who I am, pretty much know who I'm not. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me become the I am that you are and that you've called me to be and everyone in this place. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask all of you to pray this with me. And those of you watching online, maybe watching throughout the week, pray this prayer with me if you would, please. Pray, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today, I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The Bible says simply, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And uh, most religious people want you to be transformed overnight. To not be who you were yesterday. Say what you said yesterday. Do what you did yesterday. It doesn't happen overnight. And many people who give their life to Jesus quit after a week or two and still exhibiting the same behaviors of the past and you judge yourself and you have to stop you have to start measuring yourself against the work of Jesus it's called sanctification that's the process of God 
And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So don't ever quit on God. Don't quit on yourself because he will never quit on you. So keep going. If you've prayed that prayer in just a moment and you're here, we have prayer teams over to the left. You, you're welcome to go over and say, today I gave my life to Jesus. And they will give you something and help you to get through and, and walk the walk. Very simple. Those of you watching online or if you're in here and you'd like to text the word SAVED to 405-513-10, that's fine too. It's taking a step uh, in the direction of, of turning and saying, I'm walking toward God instead of away from God. And it's important that you do that. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week. Get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Or join us online. God bless you.